welcome to another episode of the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And today we wanted to talk to you about why you should, or maybe why you should not, support Newcastle United. Um, So this is the first episode in a series that I think is hopefully going to be the most helpful part of all the things that we do, especially in these early days, which is how do you actually pick a club to support? Because for me, you need to watch soccer with a club to support because that's just gives you all that emotional weight. Um, if you really just love the game, you know, you can kind of just support different players. Or if you have, a, if you're from a certain country, you like just those players. But if you're listening to this podcast, that probably does not describe you. So this series is going to help you pick a club to follow for the rest of your life. And our goal is to give you all the information needed to do that. Uh, so Big, big goal, ambitious goal, and a lot of it, you know, will come down to history of the club and who are the players, what is the club about. But we also want to give you a feeling. You can look up who their top goal scorer is. You can look up their history and how many league titles they've won. But what you can't easily look up or and figure out on your own is what is the club kind of like? What does the club mean? Where is it, what is its reputation in the game? with fans, pundits, players, uh, the whole entire community of soccer. Um, these are things that I think it takes a long time to figure out. Uh, so that's where we think we can help out. And so the first team that we wanted to start off with was Newcastle United. This is a team that is a new addition to what we call kind of the big seven. And they've undergone a huge amount of change recently, haven't they, Kevin? It's a really exciting time to start watching Newcastle. They're a team that's definitely on the up and up and are going to be exciting. They're not going anywhere from the Big Seven. I know they just kind of broke in to what we call this kind of upper prestige of the Premier League, but they are not going anywhere with the deep pockets they have supporting them. So it's going to be really exciting to kind of see uh, how this project kind of progresses, if they can kind of follow the blueprints of kind of what City and Chelsea did and just how far it'll take them and how successful they'll be in the upcoming years. So our first section here is One, what is the club all about? So Newcastle United, it's a famous club in England. You may have heard that they were bought recently by really rich owners. It's a new era for Newcastle, but don't let that fool you and and let you think that Newcastle is just some small club. Newcastle is one of the biggest clubs in England. It's one of the most famous clubs in England. It has had a ton of really great players. One of the two of the notable ones are Kevin Keegan, who won uh, essentially the best player in the world award back then Ballon d'Or, um, which you may have heard of, but that is used to be just a European award, but he won that I think twice uh, for Newcastle, later managed them. And then Alan Shearer, who's the greatest goal scorer in Premier League history. Those are, uh, this is a club that historically has an incredible fan base. It is located in Newcastle, which is in the Northeast of England. Uh, it is a really blue collar kind of, rough tough interesting town you know that isn't on the on everyone's map in terms of big european cities to go visit um it's up far away from uh london and there's definitely in england there's a lot of complexes about that it's a very regionalized country Um, but the northeast of england is extremely proud of itself the fans there are incredibly supportive of the club if you're looking for a team that has a fan base that is just so diehard Newcastle absolutely fits that bill. They have a great stadium. 
and just a great history. Uh, and speaking of that history, um, they've won four league titles, six FA Cups, and an FA Charity Shield, as well as the 1968-69 Intercities Fairs Cup. I have no idea what that is. But this is a team that historically has always been a big club, quote-unquote, quote, quote unquote. Um, haven't necessarily won a huge amount of titles, especially in recent years. Um, I think it's one of the things people forget about is how long some of these clubs' histories are. You know, if you've just been following the Premier League or you're a little bit younger um, and you might not think of the, the history outside the last 10 or so years, but Newcastle's won the ninth highest total of all trophies won by an English club. So they are by no means uh, new to the table, new to success. Uh, they're kind of thinking of them as a phoenix. They're kind of rising from their ashes and that they're really hoping to see if they can uh, kind of be the big club they used to be. And I wouldn't bet against them with uh, the new owners that are going to be there and the squad and the manager that they've kind of uh, assembled here this year. Just like Jeff said, they're, they're a team that's coming out of northeast uh very big soccer towns. Um, one of their big rivalries or their biggest rivalries is going to be with Sunderland. There's a great Netflix documentary uh, called Sunderland Till I Die, which just shows how important that club is to the city of Sunderland. So Newcastle and Sunderland, very close to each other up there. And, you know, I won't spoil the entire documentary for you. That would kind of want to take a look at it on Netflix, but uh, it's a little depressing with uh, when Sunderland got relegated. And you see how much that impacts uh, the town and Newcastle is cut from the same cloth, a uh, very similar kind of uh, fan base. They really have cool jerseys too, white and black. The white and black stripes is that's just a classic. Uh, it's a classic kit, um, and they're they're play on Tyneside. Um, you'll see in England that tons of places are like Merseyside, Tyneside. It's just what river basically the city was founded on. When Manchester United was dominating in the '90s, Newcastle was often their top competitor. Uh, there was a really famous and funny Kevin Keegan and Ferguson. This is where all the mind games came from. And they had like this giant war of words in the media. And basically Newcastle just quote unquote bottled it. You'll hear that it's an English term that basically means that you uh, you lost your nerve. Does it come from like dropping a bottle? Is that kind of what it means? Like you, you, you slipped and you, you dropped something and it shattered? I don't know. But that dropping a bottle of beer probably is the most, uh, you know, egregious thing you can do over there. So possible. But to know where Newcastle has come now, I think you'd have to understand where they've been and where they've been since Mike Ashley, the most hated man in Newcastle. Well, maybe half of the, the city really likes him. The Sunderland fans really like him. Uh, but basically a guy who owns the equivalent of Dick's Sporting Goods in uh, the U.S. He owns this company called Sports Direct, but he doesn't really have enough money to spend on the team. And he is one of these owners that, like, I don't know, Peter Angelos or something for the Orioles who just basically ran the team into the ground, refused to spend any money on it, did uh, kind of what Kevin likes to call sweetheart deals, the sports director on his own stadium. And uh, he basically got this team at its lowest point in recent memory. This is a team that was competing for the Champions League uh, in the early 2000s, has always been kind of like Everton, a pretty big club. And Mike Ashley got the fans so depressed that you know a lot of them basically just wanted to stop following the club a lot of them wanted to boycott the club they were really aggressively trying to push him out but he just seemed like one of these owners like a dan schneider type of guy from uh who uh was the commanders and redskins owner who the fans just hated 
did nothing for the team, but also seemed to have like a big ego and was unwilling to get rid of the team. So that's where Newcastle has been up until 2021. And it even led them to getting relegated in 2016. They did bounce back from that, but they've had a lot of really low points um, until 2021. Something happened and uh, is part of the reason, maybe the biggest reason that they're now on the rise. So if you're a follower of golf or really any sport nowadays and you know if i was going to bet one way i would probably say a lot more sports are kind of going this way is there's going to be some middle east owners that are looking to come in and do what some people are calling sports washing really it's like buying goodwill for the country and kind of giving them a a kind of a pet project uh, into the english premier league but also kind of helping smooth some of those relations between them so as Mike Ashley was looking to sell the clubs, he actually ended up saying, you know what, maybe enough is enough. And he's trying to get a big payday out of it. So he actually put the club up for sale twice. And back in about 2020, uh, someone with some deep pockets kind of came to the table. And that's going to be none other than the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Uh, now, this is not technically a state-sponsored public investment fund, but as we all know, it's... Is it not? I, it seems like it is. So I think that was part of the, actually the ruling that was saying like, oh, you know, Saudi Arabia couldn't directly impact uh, decisions of the club. But let's be honest, uh, the crowd prince there actually t- allegedly texted Boris Johnson um, saying that, you know, if the sale of Newcastle didn't go through, it would hurt UK and Saudi relations. So, so what you're saying is if you, every time you fill up your car with gas, you're basically funding Newcastle's transfer budget. Yeah, that's why, you know, I just leave my car running in, in the uh, driveway in Newcastle just so I can fund some new players coming in. Really just huffing in that carbon monoxide. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you got to go electric to uh, if you're a Sunderland fan. Uh, but they, yeah, I mean, it's Saudi Arabia is uh, kind of late to the game in terms of this. Manchester City was bought by uh, the United Arab Emirates, who were kind of, I think, the first ones to kind of get involved. Um, and then... Qatar bought PSG and now Saudi Arabia said, you know, those look like good ideas, decided that they should go in for Newcastle. And obviously Saudi Arabia has essentially infinite money. Um, And if financial fair play didn't exist, I'm assuming they would have already spent five billion pounds on this team. But because Newcastle doesn't quite make that much money yet uh, commercially and things, uh, although they are going to take in a lot more money with the Champions League this year, they can't go out and just frivolously spend just like Chelsea and uh, Manchester City did back when those rules didn't really exist. And I I will say that the Saudis buying Newcastle also corresponds actually right with the other big initiative that the Saudis have, which is turning their own professional league into a force to be reckoned with. And that is crazy. If you've not seen that, they first bought Ronaldo uh, well, just got him for free, basically, after he left Man United in kind of acrimonious terms. They brought in Ronaldo, and then a lot of other players have followed. And they are giving these guys just the craziest amounts of money. Like, Ronaldo, I'm pretty sure, is getting a billion dollars over three years. They're giving a lot of these good, older-slash-famous uh, players from Europe, they're just giving them ridiculous contracts, like triple, quadruple the salaries that they would be making in Europe. and they're all just like, yeah, let's just head over there. I'm uh, I'm 29 years old. I got one contract left. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to live in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's a boyhood club of Al, insert some some name there. 
It's crazy. You, you hear this stuff. I mean, Neymar just went there from PSG, which is oh yeah, that is it's insane. crazy. They've actually, you know, it's kind of China did try to do this like ten years ago. That ended horribly, and like all those teams got bankrupted essentially. But Saudi Arabia is taking it even to the next level. I think you know some of the stuff is you're trying to also push for a World Cup bid and just like trying to follow suit with some of the other. Uh, you know, nations from the Middle East buying and getting a World Cup there. If, as you watch the, the World Cup in Qatar, uh, last World Cup, you know, the Saudis are trying to kind of get into that sense. But I've read something about like Neymar gets like paid for every tweet that he sends uh, that speaks positively of Saudi Arabia. I mean, it, it's just insane that this is basically becoming less about soccer and more about like international relations. And Really, it's probably not the worst way to spend money if you're trying to kind of build goodwill for your country. So, I mean, maybe it works out for them, but a lot it's just a lot of controversy right now where people are a little bit upset with players basically selling out and taking big paydays. You know, I don't really blame players for it. You know, hey, sometimes you just have to get your bag, but I have no interest in the Saudi league. I really don't care. I know I see it on like the ESPN ticker nowadays trying to tell me like who won some Saudi league game and I really don't care at all. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they don't care at all either. But I think this is also a difference between American and and European uh, fandom as well. I think in America, we always have much more of a player first mentality where we're all kind of like, go ahead, go get your money. You know, this is a limited thing for you. Like you're here to earn and I, I think for the most part, unless it's somebody on your own team, we don't really begrudge people just trying to go out and get the best deal and quote unquote sell out. Um, they do have a bigger, much bigger problem with that. Um, I think just from a perspective uh, of what they are looking for in sports in Europe, they do not look very favorably on that. They view it as a significant negative. Um, they think that loyalty and comp- competition in Europe are things that uh, should be rewarded and asked of players. I think it's reasonable for all these guys, you know, these guys are not, they're going to triple their earnings because I don't think they pay any state tax there either. So, I mean, they're going to like triple or quadruple even more uh, the money that they're making for their families. And, you know, when they're retired at 35, they're going to be set up. So just like live golf, all these things, uh, this is, this is something that is here to stay. It, I think the Saudis' goal is essentially to try to become another big league or at least maybe become the biggest league in the Middle East, which has a huge amount of viewership in the Middle East. A lot of them follow the Premier League or uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid. Uh, So trying to capture that market uh, would be, I think, something that they're probably looking to do is kind of becoming the regionally dominant league, and they're doing that by paying incredible amounts of money. But back to Newcastle. This Saudi bid obviously was met with a lot of skepticism in the UK. Is it proper for essentially a sovereign nation to own a institution in uh, in the Premier League? It seems like yes, because the United Arab Emirates have already done it with Manchester City, so there's kind of precedent there. And they're not going to run out of money and bankrupt the club in theory. So at the end of the day, this has led to a incredible change uh, for Newcastle United. What it means is that they have basically limitless funds what it also means is that they have a mission statement that now they want to be the best club in the world they want to become the new manchester city where they've seen what chelsea was able to do with money they saw what manchester city was able to do with their money and they are looking to replicate that in 
exact same thing. It's going to be a lot harder, I think, this time because it's a lot more competitive at the top. But that is the backdrop of where this team is at. And so with all of that being said, what do you think uh, supporting Newcastle says about you? This is the section that I think kind of is, if I were picking a team just from scratch, this would be really important to me because I think anything that we do, especially in our hobbies, a lot of those things end up uh, saying something about you. So what does Newcastle say about the person that follows it? So if you would have answered that question prior to 2020 or 2021, it would have probably said something you know, great about you, you loving history. You're a masochist. <laughs> Maybe you, you also uh, just want to hate a man that you've never met, uh, Mike Ashley. But yeah, it's really saying that you know you, you value history, but you're kind of looking for a club that's on the up and up. You're looking for someone who's not part of that big four, big six, hasn't been winning anything in recent history. And you might want to be telling your friends like, oh yeah, I started liking Newcastle early on. Um, but really, I, I think it says a little bit about rise with a, a stock that you already know is going to be, it's basically like insider trading is what I think it's like, right? You, you know this stock. I was actually going to say almost the same thing. It's like almost like you know a stock is going to go way up in the next five years yeah. and you're just going to buy all of it that you can. But the thing is, everybody else knows that uh, that stock's going to go up too. So that, it doesn't make you special necessarily. And if you're if you're the type of person that doesn't really want to get on board with the teams that have already are already winning a ton of things like Manchester City, Manchester United, well, they don't win anything anymore, but uh, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, then you could look at Newcastle because they haven't actually won their things yet and you could kind of come up with them on the rise. But honestly, to me, if you're just starting to follow them now, I mean, it's almost like following a, the richest team that uh, you probably wouldn't have been supporting before. So I think you would be met with a lot of kind of skepticism about when you started following Newcastle, especially now that they've already qualified for the Champions League. But it's possible that there will be some tough times ahead. Um, I don't think it's as clear and easy of a road to the top because of the financial fair play restrictions. To sum it up, I guess, I think it says that you don't necessarily want to support one of the quote-unquote institutional teams, but uh, you don't mind a little bit of, you don't, you don't have morals in terms of supporting a Saudi team when it comes to sports. So I think this is a fun team to watch, uh, to support. Uh, this is a team that if you're, interested in the kind of person that likes the fact that nobody that you know in terms of people that watch the Premier League are really going to be supporting Newcastle because they're relatively newcomer to the kind of big seven and the vast majority of American fans, though maybe not quite rightly, uh, the vast majority do end up supporting one of the biggest teams, um, which does make sense in some way. But getting early on a team that in the future may have success being there for the entire journey. If that's something that's interesting for you, I think Newcastle is a really good team to support. They have an incredible fan base, a good history. Um, the only downside really is just going to be that you'll just have to be fine with people uh, kind of prodding and poking fun at you for supporting a team that's basically backed by the Saudi nation state. So if, if uh, that doesn't bother you too much, I think this is a fun team. It's a team that 
not a lot of other people will uh, be supporting. So you can be the expert on them. So that's a little bit about the owners and and, and kind of what it would mean to support this team. Um, the manager and the players are just so that you have an understanding of uh, where the team is at currently. The manager is Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe did a really good job with Bournemouth in the last, like, for about five years, late two, 2010s. Um, he's known as an English manager who actually has some flair. The vast majority of English managers are kind of these old guys, Roy Hodgson um, type guys where they just lump it up to the top and kind of play physical, ugly, defensive football. You know, that's not always a fair judgment, but it is kind of what's thought of them. Eddie Howe is kind of the English version of a Spanish manager. Um, he likes possession. He likes attacking football, but he also really likes the athleticism, the physicality, and he's brought that to this Newcastle team. We had mentioned in a previous episode that he almost works on an American football model where he's kind of the offensive coach, and then he has a guy that he works very closely with who ends up being more of the defensive coach um, who teaches them uh, some off-ball stuff, some uh, defensive formation stuff. But at the end of the day, Eddie Howe has turned into a really good modern type of manager and he's gotten a ton out of this team they finished top four last year when nobody expected them to and they were physical tough really hard to play against and they have some magic magic players up top and he was young too i mean i think i talked about this in the episode where we talked players i really legitimately think could win the golden boot if holland wasn't there is isak the guy is just an absolute monster there's just something different about him. He just seems like he has this like desire almost just to score goals. Uh, he he's always making that extra run. He's always just pressing super intensely. The guy just looks like he's always on a mission to score as many goals as possible. And so he is, which is actually really interesting because I don't. When he played in Real Sociedad, I really don't think he was like that. I th- I really thought he was more just a, like a tricky winger and kind of a direct attack winger. It, it's surprising to me that he's kind of become this all-around complete forward, but I think that's what you get when you take young players, like you said. They, their development is not always done at the age of 21, and he's uh, just turned, I think, 23 or so, and so he he has the world at his feet, and I think if Newcastle goes on to achieve big things, there's a very good chance that when uh, in 10 years when you look back, you'll say that he was their Kun Aguero um, or Carlos Tevez or Didier Drogba, if you're looking at, you know, the strikers for Chelsea, Man City, that kind of defined that first successful era for them. I think the team has done a really good job of kind of building this kind of young core. Eddie Howe loves to kind of control the transition and control the middle of the field. And they've done an incredible job of just this little bit of a changing of a guard, right, from their kind of mid-table norm to some of these young, exciting players. And these guys like Isak, uh, Bruno, Gamarish, Tonali, I mean, Joe Ellington. I mean, that's a strong midfield for anybody. I mean, not just top seven. I mean, that's a strong midfield candidate for any team in the league. And not to mention, these guys are, except for Joe Ellington, they're, they're all under 25. So this is a core of a team that is going to be together for a little bit. You know, as the years kind of come, they can kind of upgrade at position to position and kind of kind of push that team to be a little bit better at spot to spot. But they have a good core. They're going to be a good team here going for in the future. Yeah, I mean, Bruno is a incredible player. He is like everything that you want. He has flair. 
uh, attacking ability from midfield. He's perfect box to box because he's also super aggressive. He's the kind of player that kind of annoys everyone else because he's confrontational, physical, not afraid to stick a foot in, you know, just kick somebody uh, if they're uh, getting out of line. He, he'll, think he'll take the yellow card, but he's also kind of the heartbeat of the team. I'd say he's the talisman. He defines this team. I think he best encapsulates what it means to Eddie Howe. He is kind of just the perfect box-to-box midfielder for the Premier League, especially a physical Premier League side. Um, and he also has that flair about him as well, that Brazilian flair. The, you know, there is a con- contract issue right now that you might just want to keep an eye on. He still has, I think, three years left on his deal, but there's just some stuff out there about, you know, they're trying to keep him on the deal, uh, give him better terms and sign him for a longer term. Um, but I, he hasn't quite put pen to paper, just so one thing to keep an eye on. And getting Sandro Tonali from AC Milan this summer, I think, was a big get. He and Bruno together, I think, will end up creating the probably two of the best box-to-box midfielders in the entire league. Um, Tonali also has that kind of Italian uh, ability to pass control a game uh he can act as a deep line playmaker but he's also not afraid to get forward as well so uh he was a big uh purchase for them and joe linton who kind of you mentioned and makes up is almost kind of like the physical presence in the midfield the guy who does the, a lot of the running for the other midfielders and the rest of the team uh he was kind of supposed to be an attacker if i remember correctly i think they bought him from like hoffenheim in germany and he ended up like they put him up top and he basically was like the worst player in the league. Like he was literally at the laughing stock of the league. Like people thought he was the biggest joke. They thought he was the worst purchase, like maybe ever in Newcastle's history. And cause they bought him for a good sum of money, but he ended up converting to central midfield. And somehow since then he's done really well. Yeah. Isn't that kind of like Musa Sissoko for Tottenham, who I think they bought as a, maybe they bought it from Newcastle, I think as an attacker. Turns out he was not good at attacking, but he was good at really just running around the field a lot and just making tackles and stuff. So he ended up kind of becoming a cult hero. I think Joe Linton is kind of the same thing, but for Newcastle. Some of Newcastle's transfers also scare me. You know, teams that scare me that are going to be contenders are ones that have deep pockets and then are also well run. And it looks like they kind of like, you know, pillaged some of the teams that had classically stayed up in the Premier League and then went down, you know, with Leicester and Southampton. And when your team goes down to the championship, a lot of players, especially if it's unexpected, uh, some of the players are going to want to jump ship and stay in the Prem. And I think Newcastle did some pretty good deals to kind of snag Harvey Barnes and Livermento from, you know, Leicester and Southampton respectively, just to kind of shore up that team, continue to kind of get that Premier League proven folks out there. And, you know, having Karen Trippier come in was, I think, a really, really good uh, way for them to kind of bridge that gap with youth and still getting someone who has played in the Champions League final player that has played at the highest level at England and who can kind of be that core that kind of soul of the team and kind of guide those new players uh, into a new era and yeah I- I'm excited for them I'm really really interested to kind of see how they do in the Champions League don't know how they'll really stack up and if Eddie Howe is going to have to change his style at all and playing in both competitions as well as the domestic cups, but it should be a pretty exciting year for them. So I just want to take you through a sample starting 11 for this team uh, and what you can expect. So they line up in a 4-3-3, which is four defenders, three in the midfield and three attackers. Uh, We talked about that midfield three, and Joe Linton is kind of the defensive midfielder, the destroyer in there. Bruno Gumarish and and Sandro Tonali are going to be those box 
eights. So box to box midfielder, kind of the number eight position where they are expected to get forward and control possession, but also have a little bit of defensive responsibility. Their attack, Ishak is their striker, plays up top. They sold uh, their really tricky and kind of flair, but low end product winger, Alan St. Maximin this offseason. Anthony Gordon, uh, Miguel Almiron, um, and Harvey Barnes. Um, are three of those guys that are going to be playing in those attacking uh, wide positions. I'd say the they could Miguel Almiron had a really good year last year. I think he's somebody, if you were looking at somebody that's going to be replaced in the next one or to two seasons, I think he would be one of those. Anthony Gordon is was bought for decent money from Everton, uh, and he he's basically going to try to establish himself as kind of a top-flight good left winger. Um, we'll see if he is able to do that. He's young. He's 22 and hungry uh, with something to prove, which, like you said, is something I think that this team is looking for. Um, they also have Callum Wilson up top, who has been leading the line for them for a long time. He's a really good striker as well. He has a lot of injury issues, and I think that there's cases where uh, they'll play 4-4-2 just to try to fit Callum Wilson in up there because he also is pretty dynamic and also is able to finish as well, which is not something that's easy to find or replace. And if Ishak ever goes down, Callum Wilson will be expected to lead the line for them. In defense, Sven Botman and Fabian Schaar have created a really good defensive central back uh, partnership. Um, they really have a good understanding together. Um, which is important for center backs um, defending, especially with four in the back, which most teams do. The center backs are really needed to organize the entire team. They're playing farthest back other than the keeper. So they see everything in front of them and they really need to string everything together. Um, and also, you know, counterintuitively, unless you kind of look at how these things work, build up before attack actually work comes through the back as well so they're expected to start attacks as well but they've created a really they're not necessarily as much ball playing uh center backs Sven Botman maybe a little bit more than Fabian Schaar but they do have just that really good defensive understanding they have this really tall in left back they have this really tall dude Dan Byrne I think he's like six five or something like that he looks crazy out there because almost all soccer players are like you know five ten to six foot or something max which is actually cool, because, uh, you know, in most American sports, all these guys are like monsters and huge. But a lot of these soccer players just look like normal guys. But Dan Byrne, he looks way too tall. Um, but he's he's a guy that's kind of an underdog and never expected to make it to this kind of level in the Champions League level. So I'm really happy that he gets to play Champions League. And then, like you mentioned, Kieran Trippier on the right. He used to play for Spurs. He went to Spain and played for Atletico Madrid. I think you described it perfectly. He is the veteran presence of this team. He's kind of the he's kind of the granddad. He's the patriarch. He's the one that's been there, done that, and he's also an incredible right back. Like he is almost like a Trent Alexander Arnold type, where he sprays passes, uh, has incredible vision, gets a ton of assists, really good set piece delivery. Uh, Kieran Trippier has it all. Um, which is not a, actually, I think, what most people thought he was going to be after Spurs. He's gotten, in his older age, he's gotten way better. And so he's a mainstay. He's one of their absolute best players. And then they have Nick Pope in goal, um, who's kind of uh, been a Premier League keeper for a long time now and, and uh, is a decent keeper. I think if you take Newcastle's best 11, they probably go toe-to-toe with most teams in the Premier League, maybe not quite at the top. 
But I think something we kind of discussed earlier is I don't know if they have the depth to really kind of carry out for a whole season. You know, they're, they're one or two injuries away from, you know, either finishing potentially in the top four to maybe sliding down and finishing kind of mid-table. So I, I guess, in your opinion, what do you kind of think is... That would be bad for you. You had them finishing second. <laughs> I'm just betting on them having a fantastic medical staff. You know, maybe the Saudis have, you know, flown in some new stem cell research or therapy out there. And all these guys are superhumans now. But what do you think is a successful season for Newcastle? Is it getting out of the Champions League group stages? Is it maybe going to a final in one of the domestic cups? Or is it just trying to get back into the Champions League for next year? I think to sustain success success for this team, they're going to, now that they've reached a kind of base camp, right, to summit the Premier League, you need to first get into the Champions League so you have that money so that you have that attraction for foreign players to come into your team so that they can play Champions League. That lets them go get guys like Sandro Tonali. They've reached that base camp, and the last thing that you want at this point is to fall back away from that base camp and go back down further lower on the mountain, right? So they've established themselves there. They want to just plant their flag there, not move out of those Champions League positions. That's going to be really hard. I think... Yeah, you're totally right that this team just does not have the depth. If you if Ishak gets injured and Bruno gets injured, this team is going to fall apart in some way, I think. They do not have anybody to... Callum Wilson up top, but they, they don't have the kind of players to that are at that top four you know type of level, that Champions League level. So to me, success for this team is either doing well in the Champions League or the Premier League. I think for the long-term success, getting top four again is the best thing for this team and almost forgetting about the Champions League but the fans that's this is the first time they've been in the Champions League in probably two decades I think almost two decades so you know they're going to want to go travel around Europe they're going to want to go see you know the black and whites do well and so tune army as they call them I do think you know with the League Cup last year they didn't do very well kind of in the build-up and following that they play such an aggressive physical style that they're not going to be able to keep up I think a two front war in the Champions League and the Premier League let alone the domestic cup so I think trying to just keep themselves in the top four in the Premier League is the goal um, and then Champions League is a cherry on top but I wouldn't if I were them I wouldn't you know try to uh, go all out for the Champions League though like you said dream runs can happen and obviously that's something that the players are always going to be trying I think they they have a a big season ahead of them to see if the, this team that they've currently constructed can support um, a Champions League run as well. I think they have to try to get out of the group. I mean, worst case scenario is finishing third in your group and then dropping down to Europa, which, I mean, you're still going to play you know the same amount of games at that point. It's just going to be a little bit lower of a, of a competition. So I, I think they really do need to spend some time. Yeah, that would be a disaster for them if they end up in the Europa League. Yeah, it's worst case scenario, but you said it right. These fans, I mean, getting to the Champions League is fine, but you just have to get out of your group. You know, and I'm not just saying that because we want to see Premier League teams continue to get those four and five slots with uh, the, the bigger European coefficients. But I mean, what's the point of getting to the competition if you're just going to kind of bow out and not commit to it? So I would love to see them get out of their group. I would love to see them maybe fight for one of the domestic cups. But yeah, you know, now that we've talked a little bit more about this, one or two injuries, yeah, I, I definitely could see them kind of falling apart. And do you see any scenario of Eddie Howe not surviving the season? No, I think Eddie Howe is, you know, locked and loaded. I think he is. They're kind of Roberto Mancini, 
uh, for Man City, who is that kind of first manager who is a, you know, a good manager that was able to solidify the team at the top of the uh, Premier League. He was able to win the Premier League for Man City. But when it came time to it, to kind of progress, they got rid of him and ended up getting, uh, not immediately after, but ended up getting Pep Guardiola down the line. So I think Eddie Howe is going to be the manager that is going to take this Newcastle team over the next two to three years to where they can kind of get. And when that team stagnates, whether that's this year, two years from now, three years from now, um, unless that stagnation is just winning the Premier League, I think they'll get them to that point, try to go out and spend a lot more money and buy it, bring in some, you know, top flight, very top end Ferrari type manager, um, a guy that's been there and done that. So that's, I think he's, uh, he's loved by the fans right now. So I think he's in good shape, even though it changes very quickly in soccer. You can go from loved by the fans to hated uh, in about two weeks. So um, anyway, the last section that we're going to do here is the hope to, and heartbreak scale. Uh, out of five, each of them out of five. So hope, this is basically how much hope would you have if you were a supporter of this team, you know, now and in the next few years, and then zero being, you know, no hope, five being we're pretty much guaranteed to win the Champions League. And then heartbreak is just how miserable are you likely to be following this club? And this is kind of intimately tied in, or greatly tied in with the hope uh, meter, because if you don't have hope, it's hard to have heartbreak. And a zero would mean that you're just expecting terrible things or, you know, even if you if you were like Man City or something, even if you failed this year, you know you'll be back next year. That would be a zero in the heartbreak. And uh, a five would be a team that you know, you think that this is the year, but you just know that they're going to let you down um, and just crush your heart and crush your dreams, maybe in the 90th minute of a Champions League final or something like that. Um, so what do you think about the hope and heartbreak scale for Newcastle United. Yeah, to sort of address, start with the hope side of it. I don't think there's a ceiling for this team. Talked so much about how they more or less have endless pockets. You know, they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to have an owner that is willing to spend money no matter what. You know, if they, if they have an off season, if they have a couple years of kind of falling out of the Champions League and kind of settling back at mid table, it's not going to matter. They have ownership that uh, will be committed to spending for them. So th- there's no limit. This is going to be pretty similar to, you know, the dominance that, you know, City has had. I would not be surprised in the next probably five or so years to kind of see Newcastle in those same conversations. And I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see them go for a kind of a title push, uh, maybe not in the next two to three years, but maybe four to five. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I would say five out of five for hope. There is no ceiling to, to how great they can get. Jeez, five out of five. I I, I kind of want to push back there because to me, I'm I have them at like a three out of five. And in some way you're right because interesting the hope is you know they don't have expectations they don't need to win the league every year to have a successful season but i think the competitive nature of the league is a lot tougher um now and i think looking at psg it is not a guarantee just spending money actually gets you to the top right i think we think that because man city spent so much money brought in pep guardiola and they are literally perfectly run um but that's the key that they're perfectly run They're it's not the money necessarily that brought them to the top it's the fact that they have people making decisions and they one of those decisions was hiring pep guardiola 
but they have people making decisions in in the boardrooms that are incredibly smart, know what they're doing, and they're incredibly ruthless, efficient, and are just probably the best at their jobs in the world. So to me, just because Newcastle has the money doesn't mean they're going to succeed. I can perfectly imagine a scenario where Newcastle just goes off the rails and never quite, get it, quite gets it back. And they just kind of view the Premier... They kind of end up focusing on the Saudi League more than, the, than Newcastle. But I think the hope is... You know, this is definitely one of the more hopeful teams in the league. Maybe a, uh, maybe a, I'll give them a 3.5. Am I allowed to do that? I guess I am. But uh, that's on the high scale. Man, I can't wait to hear some of these other teams out there. If the 3.5 is I high. won't go to the second decimal <laughs> points. Uh, but uh, I'd give them a 3.5 out of hope because I do think that this is a team that has a good chance at, at uh, growing as a team and winning some silverware down the road. Um, and then for heartbreak... I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with four out of five. Wow, be very different because I think Newcastle Newcastle is one of those clubs that is just heartbreak encapsulated. Um, if you looked at this club over the last thirty years, Newcastle literally defines heartbreak. They are just they never kind of succeed. They always just fall short. Their owners are terrible. They get relegated. This is a team that always had hope that things would kind of get better because they had to quote unquote because they had such a big fan base and such a loyal fan base but this is a team I think that's been like Bane born in it and bred in it uh the heartbreak here and I think there's a good chance that as expectations rise that they just don't meet them um so I think you could end up if you end up in that scenario where they just kind of fall short and don't win anything the fact that hope is so high ex- expectation is so high now the fact that they could come away with just nothing at the end of this entire journey uh, means that I think they're a high risk for heartbreak. That's really fair. That's a great point to kind of remind us that the baseline of heartbreak, you know, it's baselined off of how the club has performed. I have them as a two and a half for heartbreaks. So it kind of in that middle ground. See, you're adding halves too. I guess I started a I started a trend. I'm a I'm a trendsetter. I didn't know it was an option. But really why I'm kind of leaning towards that is I don't think they're going to have the same heartbreak they kind of experienced in 2009 and 2016. Like I, I can't imagine being a, a local fan growing up and seeing Newcastle be one of the most dominant teams. Like if you're a little bit older a fan, watching them be dominant, watching some of the all-time great English players play for your club, and then seeing them get relegated twice in recent history. I mean, that that must be just such an awful awful thing to watch um, so i don't think they're gonna fall into there and it's a little bit unfair when you have owners that will basically spend you out of misery like i really don't see a scenario where they they go down and they don't come immediately back up or you know they even flirt with relegation anymore so i think that kind of heartbreak that's gonna be a little bit higher floor than what they're used to now i do see what you're saying and they have all of this hope you know they have all these new owners coming in uh, things are cheery. Things are looking great. They had an incredible season last year. You convinced me a little bit. You know, you, you changed me a point five on my scale. I mean, just look at Manchester United. Manchester United spends just as much money as Man City does, and they, you know, and Man and Manchester United will always have the draw that a Newcastle United will not have. Um, so I, I think there's a good chance that they just don't win anything. 
I think would be devastating because I think when the club was bought by Saudis that are have trillion dollars to spend on the team, the expectation becomes they become the new Man City, and that is just such a high bar. That, uh, but either way, I think this is a fun team to to start, and the fact that it's not guaranteed success. I think speaks to if you're somebody that's looking to rise with a team, this is a good team to support. So overall, this is a team with incredible fan base from a really blue collar town with really diehard support. That is historically a big club that has had a new revival under new ownership and that has not yet won anything, but looks poised to take that next step. Um, So this is a team that you can kind of get on board with relatively early, grow with, grow as you watch more soccer, get into the game more, um, and that a team that I think will make you happy in terms of they are aggressive, physical, and have that kind of desire. Obviously, those things can change quickly too, but this is a team I think that gels well with its fan base um, and has an optimistic future as long as you're okay with people just kind of making fun of you for supporting the Saudis and as long as you have like no personal moral qualms about supporting the Saudis, but um, you know, I think that would be a little hypocritical because I think every owner is probably not the best. But I think it's going to be a new trendy team where you're going to see a lot of new fans of the game starting to follow Newcastle. So just be prepared for when people ask you that they're going to ask you, "Oh, what year did you start following Newcastle?" And if you want to lie, just say two thousand. It was just just say it was in the two thousands. Yeah, yeah, I watched them get relegated and uh, knew they were the team for me. <laughs> All right, so I think that will do it for us. Um, if you have guys have any questions about Newcastle, about other teams, you know we're going to start with the, the other teams in the top seven here um, and may branch out uh, a little bit after that. Look forward to hearing from uh, you guys about what you would want to know about clubs if we covered everything that you want to know about Newcastle. Um, and uh, we will be doing this for... Um, the other teams in the Premier League, and hope you stay tuned for all of those. So that's us signing off. Good night.